0: You have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to begin a section of scripture that has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 1 through 12 is where we will uh, spend most of our time this morning. But before we get there, let me introduce the sermon this way. In the last few weeks, it has become front page news. Front page news of... A sad light. Just because a world renowned chef or a world renowned designer committed suicide, that news has hit the front page of every major newspaper. Journal, magazine, internet search page, and it only tells a small part of the story. In the year 2017, some 45,000 Americans committed suicide. That is about nine and a half out of ten. South Havians, gone. 383 people from Mississippi committed suicide in 2017. But what is, what is, that's terrible. What What's even worse, what's even more jaw-dropping is this, that it is stated that for every one person that committed suicide in the state of Mississippi, as well as in America, there were 25 that tried and did not reach their goal. If that's the case, then in Mississippi last year, Sinatobia would be gone. Nesbit would be gone. If they would have reached their goal. 25 times more people that did commit suicide try In America last year suicide was in the top 5 causes of death in Most states. Let that sink in. Great news to start a sermon, right? In this sermon, as I stated, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins this sermon speaking to your, speaking to my, emotional health, because that is a huge, huge qualifier for those who have attempted, thinking of going to attempt, or even committing suicide. Their emotional health, or lack thereof, And Jesus speaks to it this way in Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to back up from Matthew chapter 5. And I want us to look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4. And then we will read verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5. Here's what Matthew records. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. Seeing the crowds, chapter 5, verse 1 states, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, as we turn our focus to this passage God, I pray that you would allow us to see. God, I pray you would allow us to see the attitudes of the kingdom. God, the the attitudes that I am supposed to have, that are supposed to be permeated through me, in me, deep at my core. God, that those attitudes for this body that is here today called Riverbend Church. God, we would be known as men and women who have these attitudes. So, Father, speak. God, this morning, I know in this room right now, there is a ton of hurt. God, there are questions that have been asked and there are questions that, that are being formulated in the minds of every single one of us in this room that we don't know the answers to and it is causing stress. Lord, it is beginning to, if not already, wreaking havoc on us. So God, would you speak this morning? we walk through these truths, as we walk through and see these points, God, would you draw us close and love on us today because we need you. At this time, possibly for those in the room, at this time, greater than any other time, we need to know that you are close, that you are here so that we can take another breath. Take another step. Make it through the end of today. So God, would you draw us close and would you encourage? Lord, as it is spoken this morning, would you convict from your Word? God, would you champion your great name for you are worthy of all praise and glory, and honor. So in these moments, penetrate our hearts, our minds, our lives, and speak. And may we, like Samuel before us, say even now, Lord, Your servant is listening. Speak. Young, Middle-aged and old alike, Father, may we listen and hear Your voice and act. Ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. I read it for us. Let me read it for us once again because it is... The beginning, we spoke of it last week, but it is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It is his cry to those in all of Galilee, in Judea, in Israel, all the surrounding areas. He says this, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is spoken some 32 times in Matthew's gospel. The kingdom of heaven is spoken more of Matthew than any other gospel author. The kingdom of heaven is equal to what Mark, Luke, and John would state is the kingdom of God. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience and he would not speak, they would not speak the name God. So therefore, Matthew and all those Jewish in the audience, he turned the phrase from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of heaven and they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying the kingdom of God, even though he was formulating in his mouth or writing with the pen kingdom of heaven kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel along with the other three does not speak to a particular place but it speaks of the rule the reign the authority the honor that is due god in every place and so jesus sets out in his ministry from the very beginning bringing this front and center, the kingdom. Warren Weersby states it this way. In the New Testament, the word kingdom means rule, reign, authority. I stated that. The phrase refers to the rule of God. The Jewish leaders wanted a political leader who would deliver them to, from Rome. But Jesus came to bring spiritual rule to the hearts of all people. This doesn't deny, Wearsby goes on, this doesn't deny the reality of a future kingdom as we will see even this morning from passages that we look at. I remind you, I I remind myself today about the kingdom because I need us to all get on the same page. I, I need us to all... Understand that all of this, all of creation, your pinky toe, mosquitoes, hurricanes, volcanoes, struggles, life and death, all are connected to and find meaning in the kingdom. That means the flood, the the stock market collapses, the stock market gains, tyrants, empires, animals, marriages, kids, stress, jobs, education, gnats, squash, everything, everything is about or points to the kingdom of heaven. The reason Jesus came was because of the kingdom. The reason you and I are breathing today is because of the kingdom. So when you looked around this week, when you looked around this week, what did you think about? You know, sometimes I stand on this stage and I think, all right, I don't need to confess today. Everybody get up and leave. But let me be honest, this week I had 12 or 14 first graders, I've told you that, seems like I'm stuck on that. I I didn't look at them as the kingdom. Maybe the death of me. I just took a breath. I, I didn't think of that as the kingdom. You and I are breathing. The cells in our bodies are performing for one purpose. And that is so that all of us would understand it's about the kingdom. It is not about Riverbend Church. It's not about Hernando, America. It is all about the kingdom. And from the beginning to the end of Jesus' public ministry, He spoke of the kingdom. And as He sits down on a mountainside in northern Israel one afternoon, and as the crowds were gathered around Him, and as the disciples came and sat at His feet, and He opened His mouth, It was about the kingdom. So what does that mean for us today? It means when you get in the car and travel up Interstate 55, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when you walk into the job site, to the office, sit down at the cubicle, Look at the computer screen and do the tasks that are in front of you. It is for the kingdom. If you were to come to 34 Tanner Cove and you were to see me sitting in a blue recliner, it's for the kingdom. When you sit around your table, when you talk with family, it's for the kingdom. Above everything else, else. It is the kingdom. And you and I are lulled to sleep about the kingdom. When it should be front and center, it must remain front and center so that you and I can understand in any way, shape, form, or fashion in this finite mind that you and I have. Why we're going through all of this. What's it all about? How am I going to make it? In light of the kingdom, we can hold on to that. First point is this, that the kingdom is brought front and center from the outset. And now let's look at these attitudes As we see a second point, the attitudes of the kingdom are laid out for all of us to heed. I thought about breaking each one of these beatitudes, each one of these attitudes out and just having a sermon on it. And then I thought, well, you know what? You won't be here for half of them. I won't be here for some of them, so let's just do them all together. Because I believe there is a particular theme if you and I put them all together. Sure, there's a particular theme if we break them all out, but if we look at them all together with this in mind, the kingdom's attitude, the attitude that you and I are to live out As kingdom citizens, he states this in verse number 2. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied Terrible word to even pronounce. Revile you. Look at that in just a second. When they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says, you're blessed if that happens. Over and over and over again, you and I see the word blessed. In the New Testament there are two words for blessed. There is this one which literally means happy. And then there is one that is spoken of in 1 Peter chapter 1 which we get our term eulogy when you say a good word about this person or about that person you bless them. But all of these in Matthew's gospel In essence, Jesus literally is saying, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn, happy are the meek, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. So often, I believe, those that stand on platforms behind pulpits speak, leaving out happiness. You could look back at sermons that I've preached for years and never find the topic of happiness spoken to in particular. And I believe here's the reason. There is something better than happiness. There is something greater than happiness that is spoken of in the New Testament multiple times over, and that is joy. Happiness is always tied to a situation or a circumstance. Joy is for the life. You and I come in and out of happiness, how we term it today, you and I come in and out of happiness every 14 seconds, or maybe even faster. Just to let you know, I made that number up. But we do. In one moment, we can be happy because our team scored. The next moment, somebody else scored. In one moment, we have a great phone call. In the next moment, it's a terrible phone call. Happiness is like this up and down roller coaster in our lives. But as Jesus speaks to the emotional health of those Seated on the mountainside. And as he speaks to you and me, he speaks of these attitudes. So let's define them quickly. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the ones who understand that spiritually, you're bankrupt. Spiritually, you bring nothing to the table of any count. Spiritually, Remember, I'm building you up today. Spiritually, without Christ, we have no hope. And when you and I get to this point of understanding that, that we are bankrupt spiritually, without Christ, Jesus says, theirs, yours, mine. Mine. Is the kingdom of heaven? I was listening to a sermon, and Matt Chandler stated this. He said, "All right, I'm about to say something that uh, it's going to bite." He said, "If you read the Beatitudes, and you don't have a pinch of any of these, you don't have a pinch in you of." poor in spirit you don't have a pinch of mourning you don't have a pinch of being meek hungering and thirsting for righteousness and goes through the whole if you don't have a pinch of that in you he said i don't think you're saved." i'm standing up and i'm stating that he said that in front of a hundred people today he was saying it in front of about 10,000. And I was thinking about it. Like, all right, one, you know, this, this side in me that doesn't like to be boxed in says, how dare does he judge? You know? But let's do not take it as a judgment statement. Let's just take it as a statement of fact because he qualified it later in his sermon after he said it about five times out of the eight or nine blessed. He said, I don't mean to judge you because I can't judge you. God judges you. I don't judge you. He's going to judge me. But I state that in this sense, to wake you up so that you and I might understand the gravity of this. I state that to wake us up. that just because at the age of seven we had a feeling and we made a decision, he states, does not mean that you're His. These attitudes should be in us and they should be seen by others if we are those who are in the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. When you look at mourn, the first thought is this maybe somebody has lost a loved one, and oh, you are emotionally spent because you have been weeping over the loss of this loved one. That's not what he's stating here. It is not the physical loss of a loved one that we can say, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When he's stating that, he's stating that you are blessed for those who are aware of how they have rebelled against God. Those of us who are heartbroken in their sin, We have come to the understanding that we are poor in spirit, that we are bankrupt there. We are mourning that. We have cried out to the Father. And catch this line that He says to all of us. When you're in that state, you will be comforted. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to find somebody at the bottom of the barrel. I mean the bottom. And to see Jesus pump life in them. It is amazing. All the struggles. All the hardship. All the questions that were unanswered may still be unanswered, but it doesn't matter because Jesus brings comfort. I was thinking about the, uh, the woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, scripture states that she was caught in the act, meaning this, that somebody was looking in the window or somebody was in the room as this act of adultery was taking place. And they grabbed her and brought her before Jesus naked and everything just brought her right there in front of Jesus. And everybody st- picking up stones, ready to stone her. You know what Scripture states? Jesus bent down in the sand and just starts writing. We we don't know what he was writing. It's not recorded, but he starts writing. And they are asking him, what do we do with her? Question, where's the man? Takes two to tango, right? They, They didn't bring the man. They just brought the woman. She's there in front of Jesus and Jesus is bent over and he is writing in the sand. And he states this. Let him who has no sin. Let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And he goes back writing. Scripture states from old to young, From old to young, they dropped their stones and walked away. And Finally, Jesus looked up at the woman and said, is there no one who accuses you? She says, no. And He draws her close. And He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Do you know He did that to you? He had every right to pick up a stone and cast it your way. Yet He drew you and He drew me close and invited us to the table and invited us to His family and loved us. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I believe the meek or meekness gets a bad rap. I think it's completely misunderstood. Meekness does not equal passivity. In fact, if you and I are walking with Christ, if we are walking as we should, there is a, there is a passion, there is a I've got to do this. I see what is next, and I am taking that step. I'm not allowing it to come to me. I am moving forward because I know who is with me or who I am with. Therefore, let's go, Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a possession. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Let that one sink in for five seconds. What did you hunger and thirst for this past week? Was it righteousness? Was it something that had weight to it? Or was it something that passed in five minutes? For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If I were to ask, do you want to receive mercy? Every single one of us in the room would raise our hands. If I then would ask, how many of you show mercy? There would not be very many of us with our hands raised. Do you want mercy or do you want justice? Mercy, 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 mercy. Why don't we show it? If we have the attitude of the kingdom, if we have the attitude as Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we have that attitude, then we will show mercy. We will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the... Pure in heart. If you ever found yourself in have you ever found yourself in this moment, halfway through a thought, halfway through a thought, you, you either look in the mirror or you just go back and say, What dark place are you living in? Brian, you put your own name there. Maybe you put my name there. I don't know. But, but what place are you living in that you would actually think that? Happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart is not a cardiovascular exercise or speaking to the health of that physical muscle. When he says, blessed are the pure in heart, it's a reference to, to really the core of our being. And at that core, we're pure in heart. You ever said something and you're like, I, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. Because out of your heart, your mouth speaks. I've said it. i said that and that and that and that and that too. If you want to see God, I love how David puts it in Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Whose attitude on the inside is pure and whose actions on the outside are clean. That is who can see. Jesus picks those words up and says, the pure heart can see. Blessed are the peacemakers. Please understand he did not say the peacekeepers. He said the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker is this. A peacekeeper would be someone who walked into conflict and tried to resolve it. Great. A peacemaker, a peacemaker is one by the default position of their lives, refuses to let anyone sow seeds of disunity. When those seeds are seen by that person, they're squashed. Let's look at the last two and I close. The third point this morning is this. Not only do we see the attitudes of the kingdom, the kingdom being brought into focus or the forefront and being front and center. But finally this morning, we see the goals of the kingdom. And the goals of the kingdom... And the goals of the kingdom-minded person, the goals of you as a son or a daughter are to be these or this. Look at the permanent reward ahead of you. Don't look at the moment. Don't look at the day. Don't look at the week. Don't look at the things that this world has to offer. But look even further out. He says, blessed are those. You see that in verse 10? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are those, or blessed are you, when others revile you, they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then here's the goal. Rejoice. Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you and I are not dialed in to the growing hostility and the marginalization of Christianity in our world, you've been asleep. For the last 100 plus years, there has been what has been called a civil religion, which basically means this, yeah, we're American, so definitely we're Christian. Uh, That's the kind of default, possibly conservative, Christian value, religious, right kind of ridiculousness to say that America is Christian today. Day after day after day, we are beginning becoming closer and closer and closer to His return. I don't know if you've read the end of the book. We're about to read a couple of passages and close this morning, but if you read the end of the book, meaning if you read the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, you and I need to understand there is a picture given of physical events that are going to take place and it does not look good for much of that book. But what you and I need to understand is that our reward is not halfway through the book of Revelation. Our reward is not 2018 or 2020 or 2057 if we are allowed to get there. Our reward is heaven. Revelation chapter 5. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. And you made, you have made them a kingdom. And priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven And every creature on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. Then at the end of the book, chapter 21 John says this, Then I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, of life without payment. To one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. The attitude of the kingdom for you and me is this. There is a permanent, a permanent, a permanent reward. It will not pass away. That reward will last forever and ever and ever. Put your focus there. May your attitude be such today. The things that are rolling around in your emotional health, may they be such today that they are focused on that. I don't know what this week holds for you. I don't know the news that you're going to get. For some of us in the room, it's going to be terrible news. For some of us in the room, it's just going to be another week, and 20 years from now, you're not going to remember anything about it. For some in the room, it may be the greatest week of your life. I I don't know the news, but I know the one who holds you. Trust Him. Whether it's the worst week, somewhere in the middle, or the best week, trust Him, look to Him, for that is your reward. Everything else is going to pass away. That won't. Father, as we come to a time of response, as we come to these moments, as we close this service, but Father, you speak. God, thank you for the reminder of the woman caught in adultery, the conviction that was on her weeping. Mourning over her sin. God, may we be that way. May we mourn over the sin. May we be so thankful for what You have done. To answer our problem. To answer our problem of sin. Jesus, You gave everything. You gave Your life. As we stand and as we sing, sir, ma'am, respond. Respond in thanksgiving for what he's done. Respond in repentance, turning back to him because you have turned away. I have turned away. Come back. Respond this morning, seeking salvation because he loved you so much that he took your place. He took God's wrath on Himself so that you might have His righteousness respond this morning. Do not allow this service to be an event that you came in and that you go out. God, would we respond? So we ask You to stand. We ask You to sing. But more than that, we ask You to obey Him. God, would you speak? Would you draw us close? In Christ's name, amen. Join us as we sing.